you got your Bibles, turn Matthew chapter 5. And man, just praise God already for this morning. You know, you can never go wrong with it as well. There was just a real beautiful moment uh, that I could sense happening. And uh, I know it was happening in my heart as well. So thank you guys for all the songs this morning. Uh, but that one was, was special. You know, God's been good to us. Uh, and it's not because we're amazing people. Uh, uh, you know, you know, people ask all the time, Brent, what's the, what's the secret sauce? Right? People really do think there's a trick uh, to living in the blessings of the Lord Jesus. But there's no trick. There's no gimmick. You can't. You can't work it out without being kind of the real deal, trying to get to the Lord Jesus through his word. I mean, that's what it takes. Uh, and all these, uh, praise God, Pastor Nick and Kennesaw, second week. Yeah. Uh, we're so excited for them uh, already. I mean, just the way they're talking about what's going on, it's just super, super, super exciting. Uh, we're still excited for, for Cartersville and what God's doing there as they're at two services now, self-supporting. They're continuing to grow and to reach people. Um, so far, our conversation, Scott Mackin just updated us a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, rather. Just everything with the bank is moving slowly. We've not hit any hiccups. Uh, we're, we're trying to get to the point where we can order the steel for our... Um, our building, our side project over here, takes about six weeks to get the steel once we can get that ordered. But just everything seems to be going our way. And here's what God's people realize when everything seems to be going your way. God is good. People aren't good. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you, man, I'm just the greatest leader you've ever known. <laughs> but everybody that I work with knows that's not true. Uh, you know, our, our elder team, our leadership team, you know what we call our leadership team around here? We call it the Dead Dog Society because we need you to understand that's what we think of ourselves. Uh, this church is not rocking and rolling and loving Jesus and making much of the gospel because we're the greatest people in the world. It's simply because we're faithful to the Lord and what he says. And when you got your Bibles and we open up, we're going to start, you know, I know, this is Passion Week, so I normally do salt and light. Uh, that's going to be part of our passion uh, strategy, who God has made us to be in this world. But we're going to start in the Beatitudes uh, this morning because I just, man, I'm feeling it this morning. You know, there's a lot of people that say things like, I want to do this thing, and then they pray, God, bless this thing that I want to do. But that's not who we are here at Four Points. At Four Points, we're looking for the Lord Jesus. We're looking for him, and we're saying, what are you into? What is it that you want to do in us through your word? Because that's what we want to be a part of. It's a very different paradigm. But it's who we are here at the church. Now, if you're new or busy, let me remind you, we're in a vision series here in January. Show that slide real quick. We have four points to our... What is the church supposed to be doing in the first place? We're supposed to be making disciples. How uh, does making disciples, how does it work? 
Well, it works through us proclaiming that everything begins with God's work, what he has done for us. He said he's going to build his church and his church would be built and would prosper off the confession of the apostle Peter that Jesus was the Christ. So everything we do begins with gathering together and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we don't stay there. We move into devotion because God's love, God's work on our behalf, it demands a response from us. And what is that response that we finally get to? Uh, we care deeply about everything. that man. When God shows up and does a work in us through his gospel, we begin to care very deeply about a couple things. Number one, his word. And number two, each other. So not only do we gather in this large group, to study God's word and, and hear the gospel, but we also meet in, in homes and in other contexts with other Christians so we can continue to grow together in God's word as we know others and are being known by them. I might, this flannel may have to come off. <laughs> I won't do that to you though. But here's what happens after that. We've got, we've got us coming together to hear the gospel. We've got us meeting together, loving one another, to continue to grow in every word that God says. Well, what, what's our third point in this process of how we make disciples? It is passion. We love others. Because the greatest among you is a servant. Jesus has a plan. And Passion Week, this is the week. You know, all through the Bible... You, Moses isn't paying attention. Moses, he's been in Egypt for 40 years, uh, but he got into trouble there, and he's on the lamb. He's running because he murdered an Egyptian. So he's, he's been out in the wilderness for another 40 years. He's 80 years old. But what happened? God showed up. God did something in his life. God caused a bush to burn and Moses to say to himself, I need to turn and to see this great sight. This bush is burning, but it's not being burned up. And then God reveals himself to Moses and Moses doesn't then move and go sit on his hands. No, Moses then, because of what God had done, it stirs him and it moves him to do what God has told him to do, which is to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is the way it works throughout Scripture. This is how arcs get passion. This is how the ark gets built, right? This is how churches get built. This is how churches grow. This is how disciples are continuously made. God loved us. We love God back, and then we move into we love others around us, both in church first, according to Galatians 6, especially the household of the faith, but even those we meet uh, in the world and throughout our lives and our work context, we want to be a people that, because of what God has done, we serve, love him back, and we love others in his name for his glory. So there's our introduction. Are you ready to get into God's word? Let's pray. And we'll start with the Beatitudes. Father, I love you. Thank you for what you're already doing in our hearts and in our minds this morning. You're good. We recognize, we understand it is you that is good. Thank you and continue to mold and shape and hammer our hearts into seeing just how good you are, that we may truly be your people. In Jesus' name, every Christian said, amen. Now, again, I was going to start in verse 13, but we're going to start in two. 
And this just happened this morning. I wasn't even out of bed yet. It's probably 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And my head just starts spinning, uh, walking through the Beatitudes. Uh, because before we get to salt and light, that proclamation that Jesus tells us, who, why, why do we need to live with passion? Why do we need to love other people? Because we're salt and light in the world. That's where we're going to get to. But before we even get to there, this is, this is a, this, the, one of the most famous sermons of Jesus where he's telling us what it looks like to be a blessed person on planet Earth. And how many of you want to be a blessed person? Where does blessing and flourishing come from? The very words of God. Here's the outline for us. And I begin to think about, and I want you to think about this morning with me as we, as we move through the Beatitudes into Salt and Light and then into 1 Corinthians 3 and maybe into John 11 if we can get there. I want you to be thinking about this great ministry, this opportunity that each and every one of us has. You might be saying, I I don't understand. What, what 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 do you mean, ministry, opportunity? Everyone in this room has the ministry of being present. There is a work simply in our presence. Think about this. Every, every parent in the room knows this. Think about your children. I, was, I began to think about Hannah last night. and She had a friend over and they were having a big time. But as I was in my room thinking about her, she's still, I mean, I, I still got some young kids. I got two in college. James came home with his girlfriend who he thinks she's the one. So we're, we're getting to know SK really well. It's exciting times. So I got two out of the house, but I still got two in. And I didn't think about Briar at all yesterday, but <laughs> I didn't think about uh, Hannah some. <laughs> but what would it look like? I mean, because I didn't see her basically all day. She's with her friends. She's got stuff going on. What would it look like for me just to disappear? Right? There is a ministry of being present, it, not being. That's why fatherlessness is such a huge thing uh, in our country and around the world. Man, when you take dad out of the home, there's just this gaping vacuum, this huge void where, where a, a man should be. The same goes for motherhood, where, where the, there's, there's that, that place that only the mother can fill. And when we don't have that... The repercussions that occur in our lives. Now, if you take just that ministry of being present and you add the Beatitudes on top of it. Because, man, you take the father out of the home, there's going to be issues. There's going to be gaping, gaping holes. But you add a father that is poor in spirit and meek. Uh, and, and even if he's persecuted, he still tries to be a peaceful. You add that kind of father. And just the sheer nature of you being there changes everything for everyone around you. That happens in every family in this room, but it doesn't just happen in families. It happens in workplaces. It happens in gathered places like the Church of Jesus Christ. I tell this story every year, but... Whoa! That means, for those some of you know, that means I'm getting off track already. But I tell this story every year for passion because it it breaks my heart every time I hear it. And I'll probably cry because I cry every time I tell it. But it's a true story. And it's a story about somebody just being present and how God uses the ministry of presence together. Showing up matters. 
Sometimes even when we don't feel like it, man, just, just getting out of bed, knowing God's in control, and you've got to be, if nothing else, if you've got no strength to do anything else, just be present in the lives of the people that God's put around you in whatever context you find that. It makes a difference. In one of our trek rooms, three, three, three four-year-olds, you know, we've got our team in there, we've got the kids in there, but church ends and everybody that works in our kids' ministry knows that's the best time of Sunday morning. Brent finally shut up and they're going to come and take their children back. But sometimes there's always that straggler and usually there's just somebody out here shooting the breeze, drinking uh, the rest of the coffee so we can get rid of it. And so when you're that worker in that room and there's that one kid and you can leave as soon as that one kid's gone, you start getting a little antsy, you start getting a little frustrated. Where is this parent? Why aren't they here? Right? And they've cleaned up the room, they've done everything they can do. So they eventually just sit down in a chair and they're waiting and this kid, this little girl, walks over with her book bag and she takes out Winnie the Pooh. And she hands it to the guy and she says, will you read this to me? And of course... Who's going to say no to a three, four-year-old little girl? Especially when you don't have anything else to do. But, but the whole time, think about what's going on mentally in this guy's head. I don't want to read Winnie the Pooh to you. It's not even the gospel. Get out. Where's your mom? But he begins to read Winnie the Pooh. And, and while he's reading Winnie the Pooh, the mom shows up at the door. And you know how our doors go. They're split in half. She shows up at the door, and she just stands there. She doesn't say anything. And so he's like, I really got to finish this book? <laughs> Get your kid. But, you know, he's trying to be a Christian. He's at church. <laughs> and so he finishes the book. The little girl gives him a hug and puts the book in her book bag and she walks out and that's when the guy goes over to check the girl out with the mom and the mom said, thank you so much for that. And he's like, what are you talking about? It was Winnie the Pooh. It's not even what we do here. But they lost the little girl's father just a few weeks, months before. And what the dad did for that little girl every night, that was their book that they would go to and read, that he'd read Winnie the Pooh to her every night. And that little girl didn't have dad to read that book to her anymore. And so that's why the mom just had to stop and take that moment while this guy finished Winnie the Pooh. And here's, here you might say, Brent, Winnie the Pooh, what's the, what's the big deal? That happened in the context of God's people. That little girl knows that there is balm for her wounded, hurting soul. There's something that can fill the gap. And it happens when she comes to the house of the Lord. That's what the ministry of presence does. Just being there is important. So we got to move. Verse 2. And Jesus speaking, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And again, Brent, seems, things seem to be so and grow great for the church. You know, I'm new here, and I, and, and I don't know any of this. And this is where you start. This is just the kind of person you need to be as you are present at home, here, at church, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. This first one's the inward motivation of your heart. And you can't fake this. You, you've, you've got to mean this. You've got to believe this or it's not going to happen for you. So how do you mean it? You get into God's word and you realize every morning when your feet hit the ground, you realize every day, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I need Jesus in my life this morning. That's what it means to be poor. We don't get out of bed thinking I'm going to, right? We're not Dwight Schrute in the hallway. I will get this raise. <laughs> I deserve this raise. Man, I love our church. And if you're new or visiting, you need to watch some of the office episodes so you'll get some of the inside jokes. We don't get out of bed thinking we're the conqueror of the universe. No. And especially if you've been walking for the Lord a little while, you already know you're not. But you know he is. But if, if you're new or visiting with us, that's what we invite you into, realizing you're not the center of all things. Jesus is, and every day you need him more and more and more. Man, that leads to a blessed life. A blessed life that blesses other lives around because, again, mature Christians, right, every mature organism in all the kingdoms and phylums of this geological world, all mature organisms can reproduce themselves. That's, what, that's how it happens through the ministry of our presence, being the people God's called us to be. And that blessing he's pouring on us flows off into those around us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? It should hurt to live in this world. It should hurt to see not only the natural disasters that are still, you know, we can't blame God for those. It's our sin that's messed this place up. Our sin has caused even creation to groan, Romans 8 uh, says, for the, the return of the Lord Jesus. But as we see all the, just the human sin, the human pride, the human darkness that we do to one another, we should mourn, and it should cause us to want to be the, the people God has made us to be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted in the gospel. Blessed are the meek, and the meek doesn't mean pathetic. Meek just means, especially moms, dads at home, it's that gentle spirit that's why when God is instructing fathers a little later in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, he's, uh, he says don't uh, provoke your children to wrath, right? Don't walk into your kid's room and turn it down, you deadbeat piece of garbage. I'm going to kick you out of this house. That's, no, the meek inherit the earth. It's that gentle spirit of, yes, instruction as our children need it, but in a way where they can receive, where they know dad loves me. He's trying to take care of me here. You know, when I set all my kids down at the beginning of this year, there's no way we're getting to any of those other verses. <laughs> but I, I looked at him and I, and I mean, you know, it's like a 15, 20 page manual I'm walking them through for how we're going to change this year and how we're going to follow Jesus and, and love each other better and love him better, make the world a better place, which is our family motto and mission. But I said, why, why do you guys, I mean, I was hitting some of them pretty hard, right? There's, some of their sleep schedules are all ganked up. They're tired and little turds in the afternoon because they didn't get any sleep. 
at night. So, and we're trying to, that's what parents do. We try to correct. And I, and I just, at one point I stopped and I was like, now you guys know why I'm doing this, right? And they all shake their head. I'm like, well, you're shaking your head, but I'm going to explain it to you anyway, just to make sure you know. Right? I'm not the big bad wolf. Why, why would a mother and a father sit their kids down to instruct them in this way? Right? Because we love you. We want you to live healthy, productive lives. We want you to, to live for Jesus and, and experience his blessings on your life. We're not, we're not trying to bring the hammer down. We're trying to help you grow, help you mature. That's what it means to be meek. It's not to have the heavy hand of swift justice all the time. Although sometimes that needs to happen, amen? But it's the gentle, quiet spirit of wanting to be the encourager, wanting to be the helper, wanting to help others around you grow into the blessings of God. Verse 6. And this is one This is one that I memorized in my little stack of cards I told you about last week for those who were here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen, where do we find righteousness? It's not in the mirror. It's not in the self-help section either. It's right here from the very words of God. To hunger and to thirst for it. Man, those are the people that are going to be sad. How many of you, you've already, you've already been in that situation, you've already been in that place where you put your trust, you put your confidence in something else, and it disappointed you, right? It happens every year at Christmas for kids, amen? Because oh, I need this skateboard. It's a real health board. I need this skateboard. If Santa doesn't bring me the skateboard, I'm going to die, and they get the skateboard, and they love the skateboard for like three weeks. And then they want that mongoose bike. It's the mongoose bike's the thing they're going to need. That's how we, that's, a, that's juvenile. It's happened to all of us, and it still happens to us as adults. Man, we put our faith, we put our trust in systems. We, put our, we even put our trust in pastors and churches at times. But listen to me, there's not a human being on planet earth that will not disappoint you at some point. Which is why you got to think bigger than, than just the people around you that, that are, God puts in your life for you to follow at those moments, at those times. we got to hunger and thirst for something bigger than what you and I could ever be. His name's Jesus. He is, when, he, when you think about God, understand who God is. He's not just an inch taller than we are. He is the definition of perfection. Think about that. He is the definition of righteousness, holiness. Which is why everybody that comes into his presence throughout scripture, they all have the same response. And it is to fall on their faces in fear. Because we can't handle perfection, perfect righteousness and holiness. Think about that. But we are to hunger and thirst for him. And by God's grace, the closer he allows us to get to him in his word, man, the more we start seeing sin fall off. Because you, you start getting towards real righteousness, you want to you get clean a lot faster. Blessed are those. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. It's not dog-eat-dog, not in God's economy, not in God's kingdom. I know it is everywhere else. Oh, but God, man, to be blessed, to follow Him, to hunger and thirst for His righteousness, mercy is a part. Mercy that He's already revealed to us through His gospel. Right? Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Please understand the difference. We deserve death and hell, but God had mercy. He did not give us what we deserved. Instead, we got grace. What we didn't deserve is what he gave through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Let the Lord minister to you this morning. Man, do we, we've got agendas, we, we need workers, right? Passions kind of that the funnel into you serving here at the church, being present here with us. But before that should ever happen, you need the personal ministry of Jesus Christ in your heart or life. Because without that first happening, you're just going to be a wrench in all of our systems. <laughs> Let's just be real. And if your name is Karen, I'm sorry, but we've seen enough Karens come and go. <laughs> what, what do they call the guy? Chad. Chad. <laughs> is that true? We've seen enough Chads come through, too. This, this will change us. Just these few statements, this will change us. It'll change our motivations. It'll change our outlook. It'll make, us, it'll make us the people that will sit in the chair an extra 10 minutes to love on a little girl while you're waiting on her mom. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who in here, who, who needs mercy in the room? Yeah, so what, do we, what kind of people do we want to be? Now, let me preference all of this by saying, this is after God showed up and did a gospel work in your life that these sanctification things begin to, to happen. This work, if some of you are in here and you're new and you're visiting and you're saying, oh, so that's what I have to, to do to be a Christian, that's not what we're saying. This is just stuff that happens in your life after Jesus showed up and you already love him because he first loved you. His work saves us, period. Whether we, The thief on the cross is a great example of that. The thief on the cross didn't hear the Beatitudes sermon. The thief on the cross died immediately after he believed in Jesus. And guess what? Believing in Jesus is all it takes to get to heaven, to paradise. So this is not you earning merit badges. This is just you becoming the man or the woman of God that he, he desires you to be, a blessed person on planet Earth, that his name can be glorified, which is the point of the salt and the light. To make his name great. Blessed, I love this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. So many want what they want. So many want the, the job title or the, or the badge that has a, a title on it. So many think, it's part of the idolatry that, that we're talking about in some of this. Some people think if they can just get that job or if they can just get that title, if they can just have that corner office, then they'll be happy. 
Nothing in this world satisfies. Not the perfect job you can conceive of right now. Because once you get that, it's amazing how you can conceive of a lot more than. But the pure in heart, they want what God wants. They want to see what what God uh, wants done in the world. That's what their desires become. Which is also where contentment and true human satisfaction comes from. I'm telling you. I don't even want to preach next service. We're just going to play the tape of this service. This is truth. And it's helpful. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'm thankful for all you middle children in the room. We firstborns can be kind of ding-dong sometimes. But it's always that middle child or sometimes that third child if they're spaced out that that know how to take somebody's hand and take somebody else's hand and say, let's just skip together for a while. (laughs) Love all you second borns. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11 goes along with that. So let's not belabor. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Again, this is Jesus talking. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, as you pursue these things, being merciful and meek and poor in spirit, there are going to be people that hate watching you grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why, Why do people hate? those who are growing and becoming mature in Jesus Christ, because they're not, and it makes them feel bad. Every, understand this. When whatever that little gossip circle is, is mentioned in your name because you did something good out of the purity of your heart, but they'll say, she just did that for show, and she just, you know, that's what, that's what people have always done to people who are blessed by the Lord Jesus because they're growing in his word. Every prophet, you go back and you look, man, Elijah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, it doesn't matter where you go. There's always persecution because they're doing the See, we have this crazy thing in our heads where if we'll start doing the right thing, nothing bad will ever happen again. But that's not the way it works. We just, we looked in the life of Joseph a couple weeks ago, the last Sunday in December. He did the right thing and his life got worse as a result because of Potiphar's wife who lied against him. He was persecuted for doing the right thing. Man, this happens in Christian life, but you can't let it destroy you. You can't stop being present. You can't stop getting out and getting the job done. You can't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You can't. When you understand, man, there's going to be rejoicing that occurs because of what somebody did that was against you that wasn't true. They misjudged you. They misqualified you. They did something that was false, that hurt you, hurt your feelings. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward. Jesus says, that's exactly what they did. Remember that cross? <laughs> yeah, they persecuted me too. And I was perfect. I never did anything wrong. Right, We become more and more like Jesus, blessed in his name for his glory. 
when we study the Beatitudes and when we understand what they mean and when we begin to apply them to our lives. Man, this is how, this is how the blessings just keep rolling. And people on the outside are like, what, what's the secret sauce? What are you doing? It's called the Bible. Get into it sometime. Are you ready? We're going to start the passion sermon now. Listen, it's in the context of the Beatitudes. It's so easy to take these verses out and kind of take them out of the context. But, but these things come right after. Do you want to be a blessed person? Here, here's the kind of things you need to begin to add into your life. And when you do, I'll be with you. And the kingdom of heaven will be yours. And great rejoicing will be yours. For great is your reward from from the, these people that we're supposed to be becoming, comes salt and light. Jesus says, you are, and again, this is all about that, that ministry of presence. This is who we just are, wherever we find ourselves. It's how we need to see ourselves. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its salty taste... If the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, a lot of people don't understand this verse, but in the ancient world, this is before Industrial Revolution. This is before electricity. This is before refrigerators. This is even before ice boxes, although sometimes they dig holes deep in the ground to keep things a little cooler. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Whirlpool or GE. They had salt. <laughs> and when they had meat that they didn't want to spoil, because, man, when you kill a, an animal, there, there's usually leftovers. You can't waste anything, especially back then when there's not a crow or you can just go pick up another thing of. So they would take that extra meat and they would pack it, I mean pack it in salt, where it's got this blanket of salt all around it, this, this coarse, hard crust of salt all around that meat. And what that salt would do, the salt would work as a preserving agent for the meat. It would keep the meat from spoiling so that it could be enjoyed at a later time. This is what Jesus says his blessed people are in this world. Why do we have to be present? Why, why do we need uh, to be around others, to love others? Because we are the preserving agents. Man, think about what this world would be like with no church, with no gospel proclamation, with no, no men or women of God trying to, to live a life that's pure in heart and meek and merciful. Think what this world would look like without that. Jesus is serious when he says, without you, my blessed people, there, there's, nothing's going to be preserved. Your sin's going to take over. The whole thing is going to get spoiled. So be the salt of the earth. And he moves from salt of the earth to light of the world. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I love his illustrations. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And we've talked about this, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, so I won't belabor here too. Because we know Jesus is the light of the world. But when he does this work, gospel work in our lives and we begin to following, follow him and, and live lived in this blessed beatitude way, we become not only salt that preserves 
the world around us. We become light that shines in the darkness. And I've always told you, I don't know why God would give us such a great responsibility like that. I wish he would just come down and do it himself. Because then we, we can know it's the, the right way. When Jesus does it, it's always the right way. Amen. But God lays the responsibility. It has been the plan of the Father since the foundations of the world. That God would use his people to preserve societies. And to be the light that shines in the darkness. To be the voice of truth in a world of misinformation. This is who he calls us to be. This is why we must love others. If we don't, the salt loses its saltiness and there's no light shining in the darkness. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3 really quick. Let's get this in. Oh, I got to put this, I got to hold that place for next service. This is the context of our work. Our work as growing, sanctified people, blessed by following the Lord. This is the context of our work of being present. This is the context of our gospel proclamation. This is the context of salt and light. He's speaking to the church. Now, don't be confused. We're going to start around verse 10. And, and this is that there's divisions in the church and people are, are causing division over what leaders they like better in the church. Which Paul says, that's so dumb. Don't do that. But notice the beginning of chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He is speaking, make no doubt about it. He is speaking to every man and every woman in that local gathered body. Because what's the work of the leaders anyway? According to Ephesians, we know our job is to equip you to do the work of the saints. Which is all of this. It's the meeting together, the, the proclaiming the gospel, the, the devoting ourselves to everything God says and to one another, knowing and being known. And also loving other people well in a way that serves. In a way that the blessing God's put on your life is flowing off. That's why uh, we love the Psalms and David, my cup runneth over. It's really hard to give. It's really hard to serve when, when you're empty. Amen. Which is why we started in the Beatitudes. Because I want you to be blessed and overflowing. So that everybody around you, as you're present, is more blessed because you're there. Man, isn't that awesome? That's what God wants to do with each and every one of us. Let's go to verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul says, hey man, I was there and I did my job. I equipped you. I proclaimed the gospel to you. And now I'm not there anymore. And somebody else has got to build upon this foundation that I laid by the grace of God. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for that pause. Verse 11. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Everything we do, our purity in heart, our mercifulness, our meekness, our, our being persecuted for His namesake, everything that we do is not an end to itself. It's all got to be built on the foundation of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Christian men and women, we never outgrow the gospel itself. It simply becomes the stronger and stronger and stronger foundation upon which we do all of our other work. Ah, I didn't, we didn't read the end part of Matthew chapter 5, but, but let your light shine so that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Right? Our good deeds are part of this thing. Passion is a part of the gospel. It's a part of, of the church. It's a part of gospel proclamation. But it doesn't change the foundation. Every good thing we do, we should be able to point our finger back to Jesus Christ and say, it's because of him. It's because of what he has done in my life. You know, so many of you, you're so kind to me and you come up after church and you say, that was a great sermon. And what do I always say in return? Praise Jesus. Because I'm not capable of preaching good sermons. <laughs> I got to get in this book and I got to hear what God says. And if I can proclaim what God says, then Jesus is glorified through my work. That's each and every one of us, whatever it is. Whatever plow, and God says there's a plow that he puts before every man and every woman in his family. Whatever plow that work it is you're doing, it better be pointing back to Jesus. Because if it's not, it's just good deeds for the sake of good deeds. And nobody gets saved. And nobody gets baptized. And the church doesn't grow. And churches aren't planted unless we're making much of Jesus. Man, when we say it is all about Jesus, that doesn't mean we're not Trinitarian. We are Trinitarian. But everything we do points back to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to the pleasure and glory of the Father. That's how the Trinity works. You're getting a lot of theology in this sermon. Verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now here's the deal. We don't know exactly the fullness of what Paul is saying here, but here's what we can understand about this verse. Which, by the way, look over at chapter 4, verse 6 real quick. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Right? So I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, but what I can tell you about these six building materials is three are perishable and three are imperishable. Gold, silver, and precious stones, what happens right, when you put gold or silver into the crucible? It doesn't burn away. What happens? The impurities in it are burned away, and they become more precious, more valuable as they are in the fire. That's what it means to be imperial. That gold's not going away. It's there to outlay walls of the temple or whatever it is it's being used for. This is why the temple in the Old Testament 
It needed gold. It needed silver. It needed precious stones. Because these were, God's not gaudy. So why gold, silver, precious stones? To remind people of the imperishability of God's will, of his work in this world. God's work's not going away ever. So when we build with the materials, the gospel materials he's given us, that work is going to stay even though it's going to be tried by fire. But what about wood, hay, straw? What do we know about wood, hay, straw? It's perishable. You put wood, hay, straw in a fire, it's not going to be there in a couple minutes. It burns completely away into ash. This is how some people live their lives. Some people live their lives, and when they stand before God, they may even be a Christian saved by grace, but when that sanctification process didn't happen, and they weren't pure in heart, and they weren't hungering and thirsting after the Lord Jesus, they're going to watch their life completely just burn away into ash. There's going to be, let's read the text so you know I'm telling you the truth. Each one's work, whether good or bad, whether perishable or imperishable, Each one's work. Now, in the Greek, I need you to understand that means each one's work. Each and every one of us will stand before God and our lives will be replayed. Not for salvation. Salvation's going to happen regardless. But for rewards. Be motivated by this. Each one's work will become manifest. Each one's work. Some people are good at hiding. But each one's work is going to be disclosed. Nobody's going to get away from it. Our lives will be judged by the Lord Jesus. For the day, that's the capital D day. That's the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. The day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, what's the foundation? The gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've built on that foundation and what you've built makes much of Jesus and points others to Jesus, if the work survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. One translation says only by the skin of their teeth. Again, what does that mean? The gospel saves us. We don't save ourselves through our work, but on the day of the Lord, our work that we've done in his name or not in his name will be judged and some of it will become ash with no reward, but some of it that we built well and made much of Jesus with on the gospel foundation that we're building on, that work will receive Reward. Well, Brent, what are the rewards? I'm not going to tell you because I'm not fully sure. (laughs) Some people think heaven, the new Jerusalem, this city is going to have mayors and policemen and people. And the people who do the best in this life are going to be the people who get the best jobs in heaven. That seems kind of cliche and human-minded. I think the rewards are going to be much better than that. What I can tell you the greatest reward is, is Jesus himself. I mean, we, get, we don't just get heaven, we get God. And we're not going to care about streets of gold if those are real streets of gold or if this is just metaphor, I'll let you decide on your own. But we, God's going to be there and we get him. So let's build well on this gospel that he has given us. Your life matters. 
Your ministry of presence matters. And the more blessed you become through your sanctification, the more blessed other people are going to be around you. And that's what we want, amen? Now listen, we got lots of places to serve around here. And I didn't bring my phone, but the staff, I was like, hey, do, do we need any? So here, basically what happened, they blew up my phone. We need this, 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 this. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> and why is it a lot? Because Nick Dunn stole 120 of our people. And some, I mean, some great families, some great families we're going to miss so much went with him. But again, we've got to be pure in heart. We can't keep good families around just to say they belong here, right? If you love something, set it free, amen? That's not a Bible verse, so don't just... (laughs) Well, we are thrilled to have been a part of their lives and now to send them off to do the work of the Lord in a city that needs the work of the Lord. We're thrilled. But we do have a lot of holes. We need about 20 kids workers. We need a couple student workers. We need five people for the connections table, if I remember that correctly. Now let me tell you about the connections table. If you're introverted, that's not the place you sign up for. But if you can smile and generally people like your appearance, we'd love for you to work at the connections table. (laughs) We need some greeters. We need some ushers. Look, we have a passion card at the connections desk. Our greatest need is always kids, workers. Kids are a lot of work. And moms and dads need a break to hear the gospel too, even though once a week people with kids back there, they're, they're serving back there because... Right? We're all in this together. Find somewhere you can be present and be present and growing and blessed so that more people around you can be blessed and much can be made of Jesus Christ. As at all the work that we do, we point upwards to him and say, praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I pray you would put conviction in the hearts of your people for all those who already serve, Lord. God, may they be blessed through this message. May they be thankful that they are already part of what you're doing in this church and and thus in the world. But Lord Jesus, those who are just getting their feet wet, those who have been sitting on the sidelines maybe a year, maybe two years, Father, may they feel the conviction that this is the time for me to be a part of this church that has continued to feed me uh, and make me love Jesus more. I want to serve the Lord by helping them. Father, I pray that that would be happening in their hearts. It is in Jesus' name. Every Christian said, amen.